Well, today is the last sermon in our series on uh, glorifying God in your body. We've been looking at uh, 1 Corinthians chapters 5, 6, and 7, and that's the, that's the topic throughout. And I don't know how you feel about it. I'm kind of glad it's over with myself. It's been a little weird and awkward sometimes, but uh, definitely things that, that people need to hear a clear word from the Lord about. And so it, I think it's been a, a good series for us. I found out last week that uh, several of our high school and college students have been keeping tallies of how many times I say the word sexual during this series. And then they, they pointed out to me that sometimes I pronounce that word with three syllables as in sexual, and sometimes I pronounce it with two as in sexual. And uh, they were keeping separate tallies at one point of the different uh, pronunciations I had. So anyway, uh, all I have to say about that is it just absolutely thrills my heart that they're listening so closely to to the sermons. I, 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 truly, I truly mean that with all my heart. Well, several people have been visiting and uh, uh, started coming to our church just during this series in the second sermon. And so I, I took one of them to lunch last Sunday and we were talking and I said, I said, now, occasionally I preach on something other than sex because, you know, that's all he's heard the whole time he's been here. He's been in this whole series and, and we, had a, we had a good laugh about that. So it's been, it's been good. But when we think about this, this whole passage, it's God giving us guidance on how he has designed us, what he's designed us for, and how that works out in our lives, and then how we're to use our body accordingly. So when we think about this, most people think that God's guidance on the body is, is enslaving, that God is kind of just give us a bunch of rules and a bunch of do's and don'ts, and God wants to remove all the fun out of our life and kind of, kind of entrap us. Really, that's the way many people uh, who don't understand see God's guidance, not just on sex, but about, about everything, that God is trying to, to hem us in and keep everything good out of our life. But what we're looking at today as we kind of wrap this up is that God's purpose in our life is actually to allow us to live, to live free, to live free from things that cause us anxiety, to live free from things that, that hinder us in achieving his purposes in our life, and to live free from the world. The world which, as the Bible points out today, is, is passing away. It's very, very temporary. And so in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is where we'll be at, beginning in verse 17. And I want to ask you, would you just join me in standing as we read this together? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 17. The Bible says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself for the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when he was called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. 
Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed man marries, she is a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Let those Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord if anyone thinks he's not behaving properly but toward his toward his betrothed if his passions are strong and it has to be let him do as he wishes let them marry it is no sin but whoever is firmly established in his heart being under no necessity but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed he will do well so then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry, to, whom, to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Let's pray together. Father, as Paul was speaking to specific people about issues in their day, I pray as we overhear his conversation with the Corinthians, you'd help us to, to understand how to apply this in our day. I pray that, that we too would use our bodies to glorify you, help us to be wise in the decisions that we make about marriage, and what I pray that pray that we would be a light to the world because of how we live. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we need to live free from the world. That's one of the things that we see in this, this first part of the passage. Is the Bible is talking about the world and the encumbrances that the world can have on us. So in verse 17, he begins this, this section of his letter saying, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Well, living the life we were assigned is much different from living the life that we, that we choose. And I, as we think about our culture in which we live today, really the, uh, the, the mantra of our culture is that you can be anything you want to be. Everything is about your, your choice. Everything is what you think will make you, you happy. And this is, this is the idea of, 
uh, of really of humanity is that we can choose to be whatever we want to be. You don't like your wife this week? It's okay. Do what makes you happy. Just choose somebody else. You were born a man. You want to be a woman? It's okay. Just, just get a surgery. Just choose something else. The reality is, is that there are things in life that we just simply cannot, cannot choose. And I can still uh, remember, you know, I was, I was in uh, elementary school in the 80s, and it was just a time of really kind of unbridled optimism in America. As, and uh, we would, uh, even at school, I can remember gathering around the TV in class and listening to Reagan and uh, just so, so optimistic and teachers telling me, you, you, can, you can be anything that you want to be. But the reality is there's so many things in life that God has chosen for us that we don't, we don't have any say in. I didn't choose to be born an American. I didn't choose to be born a man. I didn't choose to be tall. I didn't even choose to be incredibly good looking, but here I am. I mean, it's just, there's things you just don't have any control over, right? Some things you just, you just don't get to choose. And so I'm glad y'all picked on that that was a joke. I don't know if I should be offended or flattered that y'all laugh so hard at that. But anyway, uh, only, you know, sometimes I make, uh, 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 what's the joke when, you're, when you belittle yourself anyway? I make those sometimes at home. And, and every once in a while I have to remind my wife that she's laughing a little too hard. It wasn't meant to be really that funny. So only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. So as we think about this, God has chosen many things about our life. And oftentimes we get in a trap of wanting to be something else. Young people often get in this trap. They see all these images on social media and magazine covers and they become very self-conscious about their appearance, their body type. And so they begin to work very hard to try to conform themselves to a different version of themselves that they think they'll be more pleased with. Sometimes they starve themselves. Sometimes they lead themselves into anxiety. And yet the reality is that there's, there's something much greater in life much greater to be sought than the approval of people that we don't even know and probably wouldn't even like if we did know. God has chosen many things for us. And Paul is teaching this here that there's a freedom in finding contentment in where we are and to begin to serve out of that situation. And so he says, let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. So living the life we are assigned is much different from living the life that we, that we choose. Verses 18 through 19 makes a very good point here is we don't want to confuse ritual with relationship. The Bible here begins to talk about circumcision, and this is a very significant theological issue in the Bible. This, this really has nothing to do with circumcision today, the actual act of it. God's people in the Old Testament at a time when, when nobody was really circumcised, God gave them this 
as a mark and a sign to distinguish them from the rest of the world. And so the Jews were to be circumcised. And so when Paul is talking about circumcision and were you uh, circumcised when you were called, uh, if, if you were, that's great, that's fine. If you weren't circumcised, that's great, that's fine. It's the division here between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so he says here, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Well, in, in Paul's day, that would have almost certainly just been a Jew. He says, let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? And again, in Corinth, that would have been pretty much anybody that was, that was not a practicing Jew or been grown up in the Jewish faith and circumcised as a child. He says, let him not seek circumcision, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. So when he says neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, it's not the physical marks of our body, but it's actually a change of heart that produces a totally different behavior. And so that's why he says, but keeping the commandments of God. So when we begin to think about that God has assigned us to, to a life, in Corinth, that meant that God had chosen whether they were born into a Jewish family and had been raised in the synagogue or whether they were born Gentiles and grew up among parents who were not even God-fearers. Yet all had come to faith in Christ. And in that moment, Paul says it doesn't matter whether you've been circumcised or whether you're not circumcised. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew or whether you're Gentile. In Romans, Paul would say it doesn't matter whether you're male or female, slave or free. It's all about us coming to faith in Christ, which produces a change of heart, which leads to us keeping God's commandments. And so when you think about circumcision in, in, in the, the first century and prior to in the Old Testament days, it was, a, it was very much a uh, a ritual and it's very much an act of worship but what God is looking for is people who serve him with all of their heart so we begin to think about what in the world does all of this have to do with, with marriage why is Paul talking about living the life to which we were signed why is he talking about circumcision well it's because we we often confuse our status in the world our identity with what it takes to have devotion toward God and a relationship with him. So notice what he says in verse 20. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. So our status in the world, and he's going to talk about being slave and being free, our status in the world is no way affects our status with God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called, were you a bondservant when you were called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. He says, for he who was called in the Lord is a, as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You are bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let, there, let him there remain with God. So, 
The Bible is telling us here that we know in the first century there was slavery going on. And Paul says, were you, were you, a, were you a bondservant whenever you were called by God, called into salvation? And Paul says, don't worry about it. If you can gain your freedom, that's great. But, but don't worry about it. You're, you're, you're free, in, free in Christ. Paul says, were, were, were you free when you were called? Were you now a bondservant of Christ? Uh, a slave of Christ. I think Paul is trying to turn their attention toward heavenly and eternal things. I was reading the story this week of uh, Rosaria Butterfield, and I, I don't know if you've read any of her books or not. Uh, so our students recently read one of her books here at the church, and uh, I just highly recommend it. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, and it's about how she was led to the Lord. Rosaria Butterfield was an English professor at Syracuse University. She was uh, living a lesbian lifestyle, and she thought that religious people, and particularly the evangelical right, was a, a, really a threat to our national security. And she began to, to write, and she wrote this paper bashing religious people and in the process of this, she, she started reading the Bible for research. And a man invited her to come to his home for a Bible study. And he was very kind, very gracious, and just simply walked through the scriptures with her. And through that experience of hospitality, she gave her life to Christ. She gave her life to Christ and became a believer. Today, she's married to a man who is a pastor in, in North Carolina. And Rosaria Butterfield describes her experience of coming to faith in Christ. Here's what she says. She says, I lost everything, but I gained eternal life. She's no longer a professor at Syracuse. You can't, you can't be a converted person who denounces homosexuality as sin and embraces a Christian lifestyle and remain in a position like that, not in America today, not in a public university, and not in a, even a liberal private university. She, she lost everything, but she gained eternal life. When Paul speaks to people who are literally in his day living in slavery, he says, were you a bondservant when you were called? Don't be concerned about it. When we begin to think about this, I mean, I believe that so many of us today in, in America, when we, when we think about coming to faith in Christ, we're looking for a quick answer to our problems. Someone living in slavery in America today, their, their idea would be that if they're, if they're saved today, they would be free tomorrow. I mean, we're looking for an instant solution to our problems. But Paul, Paul is pointing out that this world, this world is very temporary. 
and is passing away. He's calling us to a perspective beyond this world. He's calling us to a perspective like Rosaria had when she said, I lost everything, but I gained eternal life. So we're to live, we're to live free from the constraints of the world. But as we begin to think about relationships now, Paul tells us he wants us to live free from worldly trouble. Notice what he says in verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So Paul says, I have no command from the Lord. Now it's interesting in 1 Corinthians, Paul, as he writes this letter, often clarifies whether the Lord has directly taught him something that he is simply passing along or whether he is writing as an apostle. And in this passage, he says concerning the betrothed, and, and we don't have any concept of betrothal today, we have engagement and marriage, but in the first century, people became betrothed. And if you were betrothed, it was, it was like being engaged, except you were legally bound to get married. And if you wanted to break a betrothal, you had to actually go through a divorce process. And so Paul says, uh, speaking to these people, he says, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is is trustworthy. Well, as we think about Paul's approach here, you know, we don't have a command about everything, but we should seek to use good judgment. There are going to be different times in, in life that we encounter situations in marriage and relationships with our children and different things that we have to address. And there's really, there's, there's no verse. You can go running to the concordance and try to find a verse, but there's no verse that's, that speaks about that specific situation. So we have to use some judgment at times about what uh, we need to do and how the world would want us to live. And Paul is pointing out to those who are, who are betrothed in, in first century Corinth that, that marriage does bring worldly troubles. It brings a great deal of responsibility. And so he says in verse 26, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. I don't really know what distress they were experiencing in Corinth, but Paul says that he thought, given all the difficulty that they were experiencing, it was just best to, to, to put that off and just simply remain as you are. And so he says, are you bound to a wife? Meaning, are you betrothed? Are you legally committed to marry someone? He says, well, don't seek to be free. Or are you free from a wife? Do, do, do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she is not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Well, it's interesting. There's, there's, a, there's a cost to everything, isn't there? And Paul is simply pointing out that marriage is not easy, and marriage is not free, and marriage is not cheap. Marriage brings all kinds of problems. And so sometimes you have to calculate whether it's the right time to get married. I think college students deal with this all the time. Uh, college students who desire to, to wait until they're married, and sometimes they just get tired of waiting. And so they have to balance out, do I really want to get married while I'm still in college? Because marriage brings all kinds of responsibility. I was teaching a class this week and uh, just uh, kind of went around the room, asked the different students to, to tell me a little bit about themselves and 
uh, one young man was telling about he's planning to go to seminary once he finishes undergraduate. And, and he said that uh, he was married and had a, a two-year-old daughter. And I said, I take it you're working full-time. And he says, yeah, I'm working full-time, going to school part-time. And, and uh, he just kind of looked at me like, how did you know that? And I said, well, you're married and you have a two-year-old. You obviously must be working full-time, right? Marriage brings about responsibility. It brings about obligations. And Paul describes this as worldly troubles. And so he says, I would, I would spare you that. And so when we think about this present world, he says that it's passing away. In verse 29, he says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short, very short. So when we recognize that the world that we're in is temporary compared to eternity, and I know sometimes it seems like a really long time, but it's temporary and it's very short in relationship to eternity, then we should be basing our decisions upon eternal things, not mere temporary short things. So he says the point in time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they have uh, and none, and those who mourn as those that were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. So God is calling us to live free from worldly trouble. And when we do choose to bring on worldly trouble, it should be for a really good reason, such as we're tired of controlling our passions and we want to pursue them. This is what Paul is saying. If you stay single, it's good. If you get married, it's, it's good. We also need to live free from anxieties. We know this because verse 32 says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The reality is that marriage does bring anxiety. The Bible says the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. Last week, I gave you the example of John Stott, who really lived his whole life according to these verses. He felt like God had called him to an international traveling ministry of teaching and preaching that simply wasn't compatible with raising a family and being obligated to a wife. And so he chose a life of, of singleness. When I was, uh, when I was very uh, young in ministry, uh, me and another young man did uh, music ministry together. And we, he was a very talented uh, songwriter and musician. And I played a keyboard along with him. We did all kinds of youth rallies and evangelistic events. And, and just kind of traveled all over. And he, was, and he was single. And we often had conversations about him being single. I was married when we got started. And then uh, when, when we found out we were expecting Anna Grace, I remember uh, he, he, was, he was very disappointed because he was an intelligent man. He saw the writing on the wall that my days of constantly traveling and being everywhere were, were soon coming to, to an end. And so it was... Uh, uh, that, was, that was the end of, of Roger and Kevin, and so he went and picked up some other guys, and they're still, they're still traveling today and doing concerts and, and all kinds of things. But he didn't get married until just, just a few years ago, and has just now had his first, first child. He did that because he believed that God had called him to youth ministry, and he believed that God had called him 
to an evangelistic youth ministry and he believed that God had called him to use music as his primary point of connection. And in order to do that, he needed to be free to travel. And he did. He traveled everywhere, anywhere anybody would have him and played all over and night after night after night. He chose that life of singleness for a long time because he believed that God had called him to do something that required him to be free from the stress, obligation, and anxiety of marriage. I think this is what Paul is talking about here. There's times in our life when we, we recognize that it's not the right time for us. It may never be the right time because God may have something else for us to do. Now notice what he says in verse 35. He says, I say this for your benefit, not to lay a restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So Paul says, I say this for your benefit and not to lay a restraint upon you. And one of the reasons that I really didn't want to spend too much time, uh, uh, two or three sermons maybe through these last verses, is because uh, I, I believe that Paul was giving some more general advice and not something that we necessarily were going to apply to our lives line by line. Because he says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you. So I want you to think about this concept. Just because something is allowed doesn't mean that we should pursue it. Paul says he's not laying a restraint upon them. In other words, he's not giving them a command. He's not telling them something that they have to do. But yet he says, but I say this for your own, your own benefit. So when we begin to think about marriage, relationships, when is the right time to get married? When is the right time to have kids? How do I pursue all these things? There's many things that are allowed, but it doesn't mean that, that you have to pursue it. We, we need to be free to use wisdom, wisdom to pray and ask God about the time in our life, wisdom to pray and ask God about who we should pursue, wisdom to trust God to bring things about in their own time. And we need to be, we're free. We're free to pursue happiness. So notice what he says in the second part of verse 36. He says, let them marry. It is no sin. After, after going through all this discussion about the anxiety of marriage, and obligations of marriage, and, and how it can divide your interests and keep you from serving the Lord, and, and all these things, that he, he tells them all this for his benefit. And then he says, but let them, let them do as he wishes. He says, let them marry. It is no sin. So God has given us a great deal of freedom to pursue things according to his will. So verse 38, he says, So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage does even, even better. He says, either way, you're, you're free to choose. And then he says about the, the, uh, the widow, he says, you know, she's, she's free to be married to whom she chooses. Verse 40 says, yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. Well, all these chapters, 5, 6, and 7, all deal with the issue of how do we use our body 
in a way to glorify God. And I think if you didn't get anything else from this whole series and all these sermons, I hope you at least got this. God has given us our desires, but he's also given us a safe, appropriate place to pursue those. And that's inside of marriage. Marriage is not by human design. It's a divine institution that God has given us. When God created us, he created us male and female. And he created us male and female for a purpose so that we might bring children into the world. And the Bible says, and what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So when we have desires, that's good. God gave us desires for a purpose. He gave us desires to motivate us to want to get married. After all, we all know marriage is not easy, isn't it? The Bible says even in our passage today, it brings about worldly troubles and anxiety. But yet God gave us passion to motivate us to pursue that relationship. And any time that we step outside of those boundaries that God has given us, then we pursue a godly desire in an ungodly way. And so I want to encourage you today. If you're not married, exercise self-control. If you're tired of exercising self-control, get married. If you're married, stay faithful. That needs to be all the focus of your desire and the only place that you pursue that passion. God meant for us to be in these relationships and to be in them for life. When we come together, we take that vow. Till death do us part. And in this way, we give glory to God by how we use our body and how we conduct ourselves. And we're living in a present society where I don't know what you could do to be more different from the world, to stand out from the world. I don't know what you could do other than to live a life committed to your spouse. It's already not normal. But I believe as the world slides into greater darkness, it's going to become even less and less normal. Now, I don't know if you understand this or not, but when Jesus said that we're to be the light of the world, what he meant was is that we're supposed to live in such a way that people look at our lives and see how they should live. So it's my hope and prayer that people will look at us, they'll see our marriages, and they'll want to have one like it. They'll see our relationships, and they'll ask why ours are better and different. They'll see young people restraining themselves and wonder how can they do that and what would motivate them. And in this way, we can give glory to God and be a light to the world.